You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Tanya Stemphauser. Hey, this is Scott and Taylor Rickens from Playing With Fire, and you are listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. It was God's will, or maybe Mother Earth, or whatever higher power you ascribe to, my father had chosen the house on Lawndale Street in Evanston because of the large tree in the backyard. And quickly after moving in, he and my mother put a park bench below it. And that tree was the center of my childhood. Years later, after my father passed away, my mother was considering getting remarried. And part of that would be moving her three young boys to a new location to be closer to the stepchildren. We would have to pick up and leave that Lawndale house, the house that had been our home for 13 years. And it all came back to the tree. Because you see, we got a notice in the mail that the tree had contracted Dutch elm disease and would have to be taken down by the city. Our tree would no longer be in our backyard. And that signaled to us that it was time to go. We packed everything up and moved and it was a pivot point in my childhood, leaving my childhood home, leaving the city that I had grown to love, moving just miles away to a few cities over, was one of the hardest things I did. I was so angry and confused. In fact, it took me three years to adapt to my new surroundings. Three years of going to high school and having very few friends. Three years of waking up in the middle of the night and tasting the taste of that Evanston house, smelling the smell of my childhood that had been taken away from me. I was really bitter. And it was only as I started my senior year in high school that I started to get comfortable with my new surroundings three years of my life, a big part of my childhood, all because of a tree. Now, my mom wanted to move because she was getting married, and all five of us wouldn't have fit into that small little house anymore. My stepbrother and stepsister lived most of the time with their mom, and that was quite a few miles away, so it would have never done to stay in my childhood house. But imagine moving on purpose. Imagine looking at the dollars and cents and realizing that you live in a high cost of living area and for your own personal finances, for your own well-being, moving to a lower cost of living area would make all the difference. Now, we've talked on this show before about geo-arbitrage and this idea of leaving the country. 
But clearly, there are many places in the United States you can move from city to city or state to state and spend a lot less money on housing and taxes and even the cost of food and transportation. This is a real issue and can have a real impact on your budget and lifestyle. But how do you make that decision? That decision maybe for me during childhood was wrong, but for others, it might be just what they need to escape the financial chains that have been holding them back. So who could I bring on this show to talk about this? Who do I know who has gone through a move in the United States in order to improve their financial future, and how did it turn out? It took me a second, and then I thought about it and realized exactly who we should talk to. And while we're on the subject of moving, many of us are freelancers, small business people, and consultants. And what's even harder than getting that big job or account? It's getting paid for it once the work is done. That's why we're giving a big thanks to Joust for supporting Earn and Invest. Joust is the nation's only all-inclusive banking platform for the self-employed. PayArmor, Joust's invoice payment guarantee product, supports the 71% of the gig economy workforce that experiences non-payment. You can sign up for Joust for free at try.joust.com slash earnpod and enter the promo code WUN and get $100 in credits. That's try.joust.com slash E-A-R-N-P-O-D. Tanya Stumphauser is a video producer, editor, and writer. She is the blogger behind Budget and the Beach and is an avid volleyball player and a lover of California. And today we're going to explore whatever would make her leave the beach. But first, Tanya, welcome to Earn and Invest. Hi, thank you for having me. I didn't mention that you're also a former resident of Boise, Idaho, but we're going to talk about that later. (laughs) Okay. Scott Rickens is an Emmy-nominated film producer, a writer, and a storyteller. If you're anything like me, you fell in love with him and his family while watching the documentary Playing With Fire. I'm proud to call him my friend and even more proud to have him back on the show. Scott, welcome to Earn and Invest. Hey, it's good to be back. You were previously on our show. I think we were talking about book writing. Is that right? I believe that's what it was. Taylor Rickens is the undeniable star of the feature film Playing With Fire, which is a documentary which explores the journey of one family towards financial independence. She lights up the screen, brings the story alive, and I am so excited to have her here with us today. What an introduction. Thanks. And of course, I didn't mention that you also happen to be the wife of that guy sitting next to you, Scott. Yeah, sometimes. I try. (laughs) Every once in a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Tanya, I wanted to start with you because I wanted to ask you a very simple, basic question. What is it about LA? Why does it feel so much like home to you? That's a good question because this is my third time living in LA. The first time I moved here was 1997. I'm really going to start dating myself because I worked at a movie trailer company and I was only here for six months and I absolutely hated it. The first time I lived in the Valley, uh, which is an area of LA, and it just wasn't for me. That part of the industry wasn't for me. So I moved back to Seattle at the time, which is where I was living. And then a job relocation in 2003 brought me to LA the first time. And this time was a little different. I liked the company I was working for. I was living on the west side of LA by the beach, not quite on the beach, but very close. And I liked the job. I liked the people I work with. So I kind of eased into it a little bit better that time. 
as I kind of grew through the years, I discovered beach volleyball and I became pretty obsessed with the sport and just realized what a beach and water person I was. So that is really my main draw. And LA is a very unique place because it is what you make of it. It's so huge and there's different areas here. Some people live in Hollywood. Some people love downtown. Some people love the valley. Some people love the hipster Echo Park area. I happen to love the beach and I just, it feels like a small town in a really big town. That beach community, that beach vibe, is just something that really, I vibe with really well. And Scott, you guys are also former California residents, is that right? Where did you guys live before Bend, Oregon? We were down in San Diego for six years. I was actually born there and lived there many times through my life. That was your first time living there, right, Tay? Yeah. Taylor, where are you originally from? originally from Seattle, but I had a very similar story to Tanya. I, I needed to get out and get some beach and ocean in my life. So I actually moved to Hawaii to go to school. And then I ended up in Nevada kind of for my final year. But I always had a little bit of beach in my life. I was about to say, do you miss Hawaii? Only a little bit. Only a little. So Tanya, we hear how much you love LA. Whatever made you pick Boise, Idaho as a place to move? <laughs> I call it my midlife crisis. I'll just be honest about that. I'd been living and working here, living in apartments, and I thought, will I ever be able to own a home? Because as Taylor and Scott know, it's really, really difficult to own property in all of Southern California. And I thought maybe that's something I wanted. Uh, I also thought about just the dating life. It could be, if it could be different in a smaller town. I actually wanted to move to Colorado. Boulder in particular, but then I realized that it was just as expensive as Los Angeles. So then I explored Denver, still pretty expensive. And then a lot of people told me about Boise and it seemed to kind of have, I actually thought about Ben too. And so I wanted to find a place that had a lot of those qualities, kind of a smaller town, but not too big. And Boise just seemed to kind of check a lot of the boxes. So that's why I targeted there without having ever been there. I did go visit a couple times before I moved there, but really didn't know too much about it besides watching some YouTube videos. So it sounds like there were economic concerns, but it certainly wasn't the only part of your decision. Exactly. I think I had watched one too many Hallmark Channel movies. (laughs) Big city girl goes to small town, finds (laughs) the love of her life, buys a cute little house. Typical midlife crisis. I, I just realized I watched a lot of things on a midlife crisis saying that basically if you're feeling that pressure, don't do anything big, which is exactly the opposite of what I did. There I was about to say, which is exactly what everyone does. It's a rite of passage. I think you have to go through something like that. Scott, I feel like in the documentary Playing With Fire, you really do lay out very well your reasons for moving, but talk to us a little bit about how you settled on Bend, Oregon. We moved around a lot. I was a Navy brat. And between Taylor and I, you know, we were always kind of picking up and going. We weren't too worried about the consequences. (laughs) It was just like, where do we want to live now? Oh, San Diego sounds really nice. Cool. Let's move there. And when when I found this whole fire movement and everything, and we started designing uh, budgets around a shared goal, I started using that sort of mentality and those tactics in other areas of our life. It became clear to me that we didn't have to move from San Diego to participate in this fire lifestyle, but it would drastically improve our situation and decrease the amount of time it would take us to get to fire if we did move to a place that was a lower cost of living. You know, the other side of the coin was San Diego. When we moved down there in late 2011, this was kind of at the bottom of the recession, I would say. It still, it was, it's obviously a big city, but it still had this sort of small town vibe. Fast forward six years, it was 2017, that place has exploded. 
it didn't quite feel like the town that we had moved to or that the town that I grew up in or knew and loved. Taylor, you know, she still was really, really enjoying her beach lifestyle and all of that. But I couldn't look past all the traffic, the noise, all that stuff. It just, it was bothering me more and more and more. So I had quite a few incentives to get out. But what was interesting about this time was we really put the decision through a lot of filters. Where do we want to live? How do we want to decide where we want to live? Those are things we've never really taken the time to consider. And we hadn't created these parameters that we now are really happy that we did. We created parameters like looking back, it's like, oh, well, we have all this experience in living in different places and moving around and stuff. So what do we really want in a new place? If we could design it, what would that look like? And so we pulled from like, for instance, with population, we had lived in San Diego, that's a big city. We'd also lived in Reno, Nevada. That's a much smaller city. So Reno's population at the time that we lived there was like 220 to 250, somewhere in that range, I think. And when we were living in San Diego, you know, it's multi-millions. We had those senses of what that would be like. And then uh, Taylor and I both grew up in, and she grew up in Seattle, but it's outside of Seattle. And she grew up in a much smaller city. What was it, like 50,000 when you were growing up there? 30, 40,000? You don't even know. Another product of something me not like, knowing. Something like that. Yeah, probably. That would be my guess. And I grew up in a small town in Iowa with 2,500 people, close to a town that had about 50 or 60,000. So we kind of understood, I think, the wide gamut of what you can get with these various population levels. And looking at that and knowing that we had just had a small child and that she'd be growing up, it's like, what do we want her to grow up in? What do we want out of life? What, what do we need for our careers? All that kind of stuff. And the population, then we looked back at the time in Reno and thought, you know, that whole like 250,000, it felt like it was a small town, but it still had a lot going on. It wasn't too much, but it was starting to get there. And I look back at this town that was close to the town I grew up in and and I think it's 50,000, like I was saying, and it just felt a little too small. So we set this parameter of like 100,000 to 250,000 in population. That'd be a nice window. So that was sort of the first criteria. And then we looked at cost of living. That was obviously very, really important, like tax structures, state tax structures, cost of gas, cost of houses, things like that. Is this a place we can invest in? Could we possibly buy some multi-units eventually if we could save up enough? You know, all these types of questions. Then we were looking at schools. We have this kid. We want to make sure that we have access to good schools. What are the schools like? So went down the list. And out of all those filters, we ended up with a list of, I think, five places. Some of them didn't meet all the criteria just mentioned. Some of them did. And Ben was definitely high on the list, but I had never been here. And Taylor had only come through when she was younger and Ben has changed drastically in the last 10, 20 years. So neither of us really knew what Ben was all about, but we learned about it because Taylor was at a conference and was talking to someone who she, she felt like she would value their opinion and said, Hey, we're thinking about moving and whatever. And we're kind of thinking about keeping it West of the Mississippi for my work if you could move anywhere on the West Coast, where would you move? And this this person said, Bend, Oregon, just like real quick. And Taylor was like, oh, I think I've been there before. And do you want to pick up from here? Yeah. I mean, he literally drew a circle around where we live right now on Zillow and said, if you ever go there, look here. And I gave him kind of my criteria was really all about walkability. I was really afraid to leave our little beach community because I really felt like an easy life. I didn't have to get in the car. I could ride my bike everywhere. I love being outside. I don't mind weather. I just needed the access to that. And I felt like in every big city we went to, it was like we can't afford to live even remotely close to something like that. So then when he drew that around Bend, I, I went home. 
I researched all the bed and sucks don't move here um, websites, which are all the websites that try to convince you not to move to Bend because nobody wants it to be populated. And I literally text Scott from my hotel room and said, I think this is it. Let's do it. I love this place. So we came here for a weekend and the night we drove in, we literally looked at each other and we're like, yep, this is our place. I remember when we got here within 15 minutes, we were walking through this place called Drake Park, which is next to the Deschutes River and and Mirror Pond, which is actually a pretty popular pale ale from Deschutes Brewing that I was familiar with. I was like, oh, Mirror Pond pale ale. This is Mirror Pond. This is cool. But the big, huge Ponderosa pines and the snow-capped mountains in the background and this beautiful river and this beautiful park and the sun rays coming through, I was getting butterflies in my stomach. And with all the information that we already knew about the place, I was like, I don't know if we're going to find much better than this. This might be it. But I remember when Taylor texted me and told me that. She was like, oh, I think I found her place. I think I found her place. At that time, she wasn't even close to convinced that we were going to be moving at all. And for me, that was something I really wanted, not only from our fire lifestyle standpoint, but also from a quality of life standpoint for me. And so when she said that, I was already in a, an emotional position to say like, wherever the heck you have decided, please feel free. Let's just go. I don't care. <laughs> I was about to say, Taylor, you seem like you were the more reticent of the two. Was there a thought of not making such a drastic change, finding something cheaper in the San Diego area, or at least staying in California or in more of a beachside community? Yeah, we did a lot of looking. And I think I just got really spoiled, to be honest, about where we were and the deal we had. Because even when you went an hour east of the beach, we still weren't able to afford what we were even living in a, in the area that we were. And so it was like, if we're an hour away from the beach, what's the point at this point? That could take two hours at some points. With traffic, yeah. Yeah, it was like, we we really did give it the old college try in San Diego. We tried our best to stick around. And that was, you know, with buying a home in mind, even if we were renting for a while and eventually buying. And it just, it, it, to, to make it affordable, we were living in the desert now. We weren't living in San Diego on the beach. And so... Which I think for a lot of people that works and like, it's so it's okay. I think for us, we're really abrupt in our life. I think that's how some of our friends would describe us. Like once we get an idea, we're like, oh, we're all in, let's do it. Whereas I feel like other people, it works perfectly fine to like wait five years and try it out and see how it works and build up. Yeah. To be clear, East County, San Diego is awesome. And there's some amazing things about it that we love. But for us, there were certain criteria of us living closer to the coast that brought us to San Diego in the first place. So when we weren't giving those things up, that opened up the door to look at other places around the country. It's funny that Taylor brought up (laughs) when she researched Bend about how everything people were saying, don't move to Bend. Pretty much any Californian is not welcome anywhere except California, I think. I I found the same thing in Boise, too. You just found, you'll find plenty of, I hate Californians. Californians ruin everything no matter where you go in the U.S., I think. It's so funny because most Californians I know aren't actually from California. They just found themselves there for a myriad of reasons, right? <laughs> yep. And then they decided, well, maybe we want to try somewhere else. And then suddenly you're not qualified to live anywhere. Exactly. I, you, I have a question for you, though. Do you feel like that is an online sentiment that doesn't actually play out in real life? Yeah, I actually found that Boise people were the nicest human beings on the planet. Like in a way, I have even I'm from the Midwest and I I haven't experienced people that nice in my life. I think those are just one-off stories and yeah, if you're you, if you go on the internet, you're definitely going to find that you're not welcome anywhere, so don't go on the internet and do that. <laughs> you're telling me. I- <laughs> so Tanya, I feel like Boise is the elephant in the room. What happened? What went wrong there? <laughs> 
I knew before I even left LA that I made the, a bad decision. And I, I kind of go on gut feeling because when I went there to visit, to go look for an apartment and I signed a lease, it was like a wave of dread just washed over me of what am I doing? And I just thought it was cold feet, but I had moved from Detroit to Seattle with not knowing anyone, having little money and that worked out great. So it's not like this was my first rodeo. So I, I just was confused as to why I was feeling this way. And when I put my notice in my apartment in El Segundo, I did that and I lived in that apartment for 10 years. Then I really, really felt it. And I had started picking up playing beach volleyball again and I realized how much I was going to miss it. But I was already in motion. So I felt like I just couldn't quit at that point. So I literally knew I would be coming back even before I left. And everyone was telling me this is normal, but I knew it wasn't normal. And I got to Boise and it just never, I never felt like it wasn't its fault. Boise's a great city. I probably shouldn't be saying that because they're going to be mad at me for saying that, but, but it is, it's a great city and it's growing. Yeah, there's problems, but there's problems everywhere, but it just wasn't the beach and it never was going to be. It, it just, I needed that. And I didn't realize I needed that until I went somewhere else and had to experience that. And I really can't say I gave it much of a chance because I kind of knew before I left. I'm curious, do you have any regrets? Because you had mentioned earlier how, I guess, some advice column told you, like, don't chase the big mid uh, midlife crisis ideas. But I feel like now you know that yeah. beach is super important to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I had to go through that in a weird sort of way because it made me appreciate... And LA is full of its problems and it sure is expensive. And I had to move back in with a roommate, which I haven't lived with a roommate in years. So I don't love that, but I live in a great location. It's like, I think you have to pick the things you're willing to live with because in an odd way, some things are just going to feel better to you and feel more you. And even if that's not for somebody else or like, why would she live with a roommate? Why would she live in such an expensive area? But it feels like home. It just feels that way. Scott, Tanya mentions this idea that she knew right away, even before she moved, that it was the wrong thing to do. Did you or Taylor have any misgivings either before you left or shortly after you arrived? (laughs) Oh, man. I feel like you're going to be surprised at my answer. I feel like for the first year, remember for us, we went on this like big, long road trip that got us to bend. So it was essentially a year of travel going to five places to see if we could live there. And I think during that year, spoiler alert, I was super emotional. And I honestly, I really do think I had some components of depression during that time, like within the first six months, because it's just such a huge change. Everything in my life had completely 180, not only the location, but like we weren't spending any money. We were living with random people. We were doing all these like really big life shifts all at once. And so for me, I had a really hard time just adjusting. And I think to be honest, I really value Scott and I's friendship first because we're really good partners together. And in order to get through that, I honestly, Tanya, listening to your story, I don't know that I would have made it. By myself because I had to have someone there that was like, I see the vision, keep trying, yeah. like, you can do this. And I felt really deflated and I felt really unhappy for a lot of months. But then honestly, when we found our home base in Bend, I do feel like within the weekend, I, I had this overwhelming rush of just maybe that gut feeling, right? Like, this is my spot. These are my people. I can get behind this. So that was kind of my journey in that year. I started off laughing, not at her unhappiness or 
<laughs> or, or sure, burnout. Scott, sure. Uh, but just laughing at all this, the journey that we went through together to get to the place where we could both say, oh, I'm really glad we did this. And so that was, my, that was what I was lamenting about. I'm glad that we went and checked out a bunch of different places. We haven't mentioned this yet in this podcast, but Boise was on our list. Mm-hmm. Spokane, Washington was on our list. Where else? We Fort were looking Collins. at Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, we were looking at somewhere in Arizona. We looked back at the Midwest as well because we had a ton of family ties. We had some really great, like financially, it could have been a really good spot for us. Yeah. It costs next to nothing to live in that little town that I grew up in. And so we, we went and checked those things out. We, you know, we, we wanted to make sure like, you know, we could retire significantly earlier had we moved to small town Iowa. But was it worth it to us? As you were saying earlier, like, is it worth it to us to live in this small town with not a lot going on just to achieve this early retirement goal? Sure. But then you're hitting that number earlier because it costs less to live. So then you're kind of stuck at that level mm-hmm. of spending. So those are all factors that we, we factored in. But ultimately, like, we had to kind of go through all those places and see all those things to know what we really did want or, or, or not want. And even then, you're not necessarily sure even when you feel the feels and you've got the butterflies and all this stuff, you're still making a commitment, you know, moving into a place and into a new city and and trying it out. But we did rent and we would recommend renting. Yeah. I think kind of even backtracking a little bit, I remember the the conversation we had. It was like at 10 o'clock at night, our baby was in bed. We were just in that mode of like, okay, what are we doing? We were in Iowa. No, we were in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And you like showed me the calculator of like, Hey, look how much quicker this can happen if we're here. I mean, it's so amazing to see the difference in numbers. And I was like, I don't care. I feel like from a happiness scale, I'd rather stick with working or do whatever I want to do for eight years versus one year of living in an area that doesn't feel like my spot and nothing against the Midwest. I think the area is so beautiful, so wonderful. The people are amazing. It just coming from where we were and the expectation of walkability in life and you know, amenities. It just wasn't there. Tanya, speak to what Taylor's saying a little bit. In the financial independence retire early community, they get almost gleeful at times <laughs> at this specter of geo arbitrage. Are we a touch overly optimistic? Well, it's impossible to speak for everyone. I just wish in general in the personal finance community that people would kind of just respect everyone's own decision and own path and own journey. I think it's great if somebody wants to pursue geo-arbitrage or FIRE or whatever they want to do. It's a noble goal. And if it makes their life happy and it's in line with their values, that's great. I think it's just, it's overlooked that it's just not the path for everybody and that there are other ways. I think it's starting to open up a little bit now where people understand that there's so many different paths in life. Like Taylor, I would rather work at a job I was super happy at and kind of blend the area that I live in, even if it was more expensive, because it's more about, for me, finding work I love that I want to do for the rest of my life than it is about hitting this financial goal. And I realized that because I used to have a full-time job where I made a lot of money and I was miserable and it wasn't about that for me. And I was sacrificing a lot to save a lot. Thankfully, I did save a lot because it's helping me out right now. But it just wasn't in line with who I was as a person in my own journey. Was it hard to talk about leaving Boise on your blog? Did you feel like a failure? Did you feel like people would judge you? I didn't even care. (laughs) I was not, I didn't even care. I know when I, when I left LA and I got in my car and I sobbed for the first hour out of Los Angeles and I, 
Taylor and Scott will appreciate this. I was stuck on the 405 freeway, so I'm sure everyone could see me sobbing, <laughs> getting out of town, right? It wasn't like I was on a deserted road in Arizona or Nevada. But when I left Boise, it was like, I've never felt so good in my life. It was the happiest, like driving away. So I knew there was something there and life isn't perfect for people who move and then get adjusted. It's not perfect for me back in LA either. There's, you know, there's always obstacles and challenges. I think it's just more about the daily life, what's more in line with you. If you feel like at home and if you feel you're in the right place, then you can sort of do everything else with that in mind. I totally appreciate where you're coming from there, Tanya. And I think that one of the things for us that has continued to be kind of our home base and we've been able to come back to several different times in this, I mean, it's been a three-year journey at this point. So, you know, we've come back several times to kind of our happiness list and like, hey, what is making us happy together and individually? And are we accomplishing that on a daily basis where we're living? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I found the best thing. I don't know if this is a good idea to kind of promote, but I have found I just recently got off Twitter because I find it's one of the worst places for people to kind of be judgy about things. And I have never looked back. I think it's been three or four weeks that I haven't been on Twitter and I can't say I miss it at all. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that way about Reddit. Yeah. (laughs) There are a mean crop of people over there. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I, I, I noticed that too early on. The whole fire thing, I mean, for me, I've always felt like I found this amazing framework that I could use to learn, essentially learn financial literacy, investment strategies, and how to be a better money person, a better human, all, all the way through. However, I, I was running into a lot of that sort of judgment angle like, oh, well, that's not fire. This is fire and all stuff. And it's like, and I think Mr. Money Mustache called them the fire police at one point or something. I'm not sure who coined (laughs) that, but I love it. And, you know, we've seen our fair share of haters, whatever you want to call it. And it's, and it's rough sometimes because 99% of the time it's missing the point or it's being judgmental about somebody's specific journey or whatnot. At the end of the day, that's one thing I really wish everyone knew is that this is as far as I understand it, fire's kind of like an equation and you get to take that equation and implement it into your life any way you want. And, and so, yeah, like with geo arbitrage, you don't have to do geo arbitrage to pursue fire, even if you're living in a high cost living area. But what I do love about the fire framework or just personal finance in general is like, usually the way that you're thinking about things, if you're trying to think about them from an optimization standpoint, then you can look at the place you live and really put it through the test, scrutinize it, make sure that that's the place you should be living. Because I think that's actually the prevalent issue in this society is that we felt we fell victim to it too. It's like, you just kind of go with the flow. You're, you know, you get a little bit fearful of making any big moves. And the next thing you know, you're stuck in this place that you didn't even really want to live for the last 15, 20 years. That's the real tragedy. You know, if you're yeah. going to spend a bunch of money in this one place, make sure you like it. Make sure you would be crying your eyes out on the way to <laughs> Boise and, you know, loving your life on the way out to, to make sure you can justify that beach lifestyle in LA. You know what I mean? And, but you know now. And what yeah. a testament too with, with Tanya, with your story. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are really afraid of even just trying. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, what's the worst case scenario? I always tell people that. What's the worst case scenario? You came back. And look, you have a different perspective, a new life. You have components of your old life that I'm sure are just great, but you also have a new face to think about it. And I think that's so important to remind people is like, 
it's okay to try. It's okay for it not to work out. Yeah. When we moved around in the, in the film, it, it shows that we moved in with our parents, uh, both sets of parents at one point in time. And what we probably should have been really specific about, I, I think we said it in the little narrative VO, but we should have like said it 16 times. So I already remember because I see this in the negative reviews and stuff all the time is that we did that not necessarily to save money. However, that was a nice byproduct for a couple months. But the real idea was to connect with our family with, when we have this little baby girl who you know is only going to be this age once and give everyone a chance to spend some time together, some quality time together, while giving us a chance to see if we wanted to move back home. Moving in with, I, I swear, I heard so many times like, you don't have to move in with your parents to pursue fire. And it's like, Who's saying that? I totally agree. You should not do that. That is a terrible thing. <laughs> not so the point. For all of you listening, do not move in with your parents uh, unless <laughs> you absolutely have to. I mean, we feel very blessed we had that option. Don't get me wrong. My goodness, look at all the caveats. Jeez. You, you would, you know, it's surprising how, how big of a, a move that was. But anyway, we love them. We're all, all of our relationships are still intact. Thank goodness. They actually all moved to Bend. No joke. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. yes. Wow. Six months. <laughs> and that was another thing that we heard a lot was like, oh, great. You moved out of San Diego and moved to a really expensive place. Well, in relation, Bend is not a really expensive place in relation to San Diego. One of the biggest reasons why we decided to move here, other than the butterflies and the feels, was we had the sense that our parents would really consider moving here at least part-time as well in their retirement years if we chose this place. And that was important to us because we're going to be taking care of our parents. I'm an only child and Natalia's going to be taking care of her parents too. So that was another piece of the factor. So again, that's just a personal choice, you know, that, that we factored through a filter of optimization and choices that made sense and that were thoughtful. And that was the first time we'd done that moving to a place. So in that way, I highly recommend it. I would say, forget geo-arbitrage. If you're living in a place, no matter where you're living, if you haven't considered these things, start considering them, right? And maybe you'll move across town or maybe you'll move into a different neighborhood or maybe you'll stay put forever and be super happy. I'd like to take a pause for a moment and recap. In the first half of the show, Tanya, Scott, and Taylor discuss why they decided to leave their homes and set off on a new adventure. After the break, we discuss the effect it had on their personal relationships. But before we do, I wanted to say thanks to Joust for supporting Earn and Invest. Have you ever thought about starting your own business? Perhaps you wanted to begin a side hustle or passion project, but weren't sure where to begin. Ensuring a steady income will always be one of the first things you think of and could be the reason why you don't eventually take the leap. Joust is the nation's only all-inclusive banking platform for the self-employed. Business banking can feel complicated, but Joust makes it easy. PayArmor, Joust's invoice payment guarantee product, supports the 71% of the gig economy workforce that experiences non-payment. You can sign up for Joust for free at try.joust.com earnpod and enter the promo code WUN and get $100 in credits. That's try.joust.com slash E-A-R-N-P-O-D. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? 
What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Tanya, talk a little bit about relationships. When you left LA to go to Boise, you left a lot of friends behind. Is that right? Oh, yeah, I did. And that was hard. But, you know, a lot of it's kind of a small world, but it's a big world. We're all still connected. I've had some friends move out of LA and it seems that I see them when they come into town. I see what they're doing on Facebook and Instagram. But yeah, it was difficult. I had a pretty good friend base. Again, the beach volleyball community is really, really small here. Everybody knows everybody. It's kind of a small town in that regard. So again, I I don't think I realized how much I appreciated that till I moved. And granted, I know it would have taken long than six months to find friends. And I met some nice people in Boise, but I don't think I put like a ton of effort into it because I just, I think as an adult, it is hard to make friends. And so you realize how many years I've been in LA, 15 years prior to me moving. So it's a long time to build up relationships and I don't take those for granted. And honestly, Tanya, we had this like, I felt like it was a, just a gold card because our kid was just starting school which I feel like is this weird area of people that don't know each other are all coming together and have this one common factor, which is just a child the same age. Yeah. And like, I don't know that we would have made friends as quickly as we did without that. I totally empathize with that. Moving to a new community. Yeah. Yeah. And we should also say that definitely the hardest part about moving was was not the idea of picking up and leaving. It wasn't any of the external factors. It was by far leaving our friends behind. I mean, that was the thing that really, that really drew, drew you. But I feel too that like, as a Navy brat, especially like the world is so connected. It's very easy to run down to San Diego on, on some points and, and see our friends and stuff. So that was in my head that just made it easy for me to make the decision in my head to do it. It didn't make it any easier when we actually moved and I'm sitting there missing my friends. And, um, that's a very real side effect for sure. Scott and Taylor, you had mentioned, Scott, specifically that the world is connected and you were used to moving around. Did you ever think of taking it even to the further extreme with any of your filters looking at geo-arbitrage outside the United States? Yeah, we, we looked at it, but that got killed pretty quick because of friends and family, mostly. We've done some international travel and you know that, that really is... That's where I start being like, I don't know. I like it. It seems romantic in my mind. And I kind of want to <laughs> you know, move to Thailand or New Zealand or something for a while. And we might, but... I was going to say, that's where I get all romantic. And like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, which is so funny. But 
I feel like I've lived over there for months on end and I feel like we could do that for a year or two and see how it goes. I just watched uh, Under the Tuscan Sun last night, which is one of my favorite movies, which I don't know if you guys have seen it, but yeah, she yes. Yeah. And of course it's again, the movies and TV, I think that get me that idea of just like starting all over and buying a rundown villa in Tuscany and building it up. sucked in. Everything's going to be magical. I know. I know. I got to stop watching movies. That's the, that's the remedy I think here. It's the lesson we've learned from this whole entire podcast. Don't watch <laughs> TV and movies. <laughs> I was about to say, Tanya, you know, you could find a nice beach and a very good cost of living outside the United States. I know, Mexico, Costa Rica. Yeah, no. I think we're going to stay put for a little while. (laughs) So Scott and Taylor, does Bend feel like home now? I have a story that I literally, I was really nervous to make this move again. And I had moved several, several times before even Scott and I got together. And then honestly, I was dating a, a guy that I met when I was going to school. And he was very much a white picket fence in one place, stay in one place forever. And he had a great family there. And I always felt this anxiety of like, what if I want to leave? Like, what if I want to go somewhere? You know, I don't think it's ever going to work. I met Scott. He was all about moving. I'm like, oh, it's my guy. And now there's this component of we each want a little bit of settling down to happen and some roots because we've been on the road for so long. But I remember when we got ready to leave, my dad told me a story of like, hey, when you were in kindergarten, you used to cry when you go to first grade. And then when you were in first grade, you cry when you went to second grade because you were leaving a teacher each time. Hey, Taylor, you're happy everywhere you go, really. So just find some roots, find some friends, you'll be okay. And I feel like for us, I feel like Bend is home with our friend group, with our kids that are in our life now. I feel very, very at home. Do I live in the perfect spot that I dreamed of? Like as far as a house is concerned, I'm saying like it's everything's not Dreamville. There's still snow outside. There's no ocean. <laughs> There's no ocean. But are the things that I love on a daily basis happening for me? Yes. Yeah, I am absolutely in love with this place <laughs> on all fronts. I love the snow. I love the sun, the water. We have a lot of different bodies of water around us. There's like a hundred alpine lakes up this one highway close to our house. We've got the Deschutes River running through the mountains. Every day I see those and those mountains don't become like a backdrop, you know, that you kind of don't even notice. It's not, it's not like that at all. Every time you see them, your breath is taken away. So this is coming from a guy who lived in the Midwest. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You understand. Easy to impress. <laughs> yeah. 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 See? But, but it, it really is from a natural beauty standpoint, it's, it's pretty incredible. And then all of the outdoor stuff we have at our fingertips just really makes us feel more connected to the nature and we don't deal with traffic and stuff like that. Thank goodness. We have one car, we barely use it and we take pride in that. Now we're on our bikes all the time. The walkability, all that stuff was huge. And then by far and away, the biggest factor again is really just community. We've just, we've struck gold with a great friend group and which continues to expand. We've met some, some fire people around town as well and gone to some of the meetups and whatnot. And it's just been wonderful watching our, our little girl with a bunch of new friends and all that stuff. All the things we were hoping for are happening. So yeah, we love it. I could go on and on and on. I better stop now. He's a, he's a Ben commercial. They pay him quarterly. It's terrible. Don't move here. Yada, yada. Yeah. My favorite thing about Bend is actually if you go to the grocery stores, two things happen. One is you see uh, bumper stickers that say, be nice, you're in Bend, which is my favorite thing in the world. It's like us locals, we're all we're demanding this of each other to be nice. And I think that's really grounding. And the other thing that happens is random conversations. You'll just be like standing in the, in the sauce aisle and somebody will walk up and be like, have you used this before? Can you tell me how to cook with this? What are the recipes? And I'm just like, I'm going to be here a while. I'm going to soak this in because 
this is not what I'm used to. Random strangers just being sweet. And, and that's what I grew up with in the Midwest and really missed. So I love that we have that here. That was a lot like Boise. It was just random strangers talking to you and you're like, oh, they're not trying to be creepy. They actually are interested in, in me. I don't understand. It's opened up my eyes to the fact that I actually think it's just a, I think that's more of a product of population than anything. I think in a place like this, we tend to, we can trust each other. We can trust our neighbors. We don't have to be super worried about locking our doors and whatnot. And that was something growing up in the Midwest that I thought was unique to the Midwest, but I don't think it is. I think it's unique to smaller populations. And as the populations grow, you just have less and less, I mean, you hear more things, you see more things. Next thing you know, you're not trusting anyone. And that's sort of like a survivalist mechanism, which I can't blame people in San Diego for feeling that way. It's not to say that people in San Diego aren't awesome people. We met amazing people in San Diego, but just like your day-to-day walking around, unless you're a, a, a pretty girl who has no issues... <laughs> don't, don't be quiet. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know what he's talking about. I'll walk into I'll walk into a restaurant and hold someone's uh, door for someone. They'll walk straight through it, and Taylor's getting the door held for her, and uh, <laughs> pleases and thank yous all over the place. So it's a different experience. I'm not glass half full. Uh-huh. Scott's the glass half <laughs> empty. That's what it is. We even each other out in the middle somewhere. Let's say that. I was about to say there's a glass sitting right by Taylor's microphone, and it is totally empty. It is. That must mean we're out of time here, dog. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. So Tanya, I know some pretty cool people who live in Bend, Oregon. Any possibility you'll want to leave LA again? Oh, they're making it sound really good. Maybe I should consider moving there. I'll go online and see what people think about California's moving to Bend. Now I know who I can visit. So that's cool. I think that's I think that's what's great about the financial community in general is that I know people everywhere. So getting to stay with them or just getting people to hang out with wherever you go is really, really cool. So I definitely need to make it up to Bend to visit. I don't think I'm going to be moving anytime soon. We do have beach volleyball courts. Excellent. You would like that. Hmm. (laughs) Definitely going to make a plan to come up there. Do you play uh, over at Huntington Beach? No, I play in mostly Hermosa Beach. Hermosa. Okay. Oh, that's right. It was Hermosa. I did a AVP beach volleyball events. I did some sponsoring uh, when I was in my marketing days down there. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 I've definitely been to the AVP Huntington beach. It's one of the, this is the first event of the season. Yeah. Oh, that, that sport is amazing. I understand your, the draw. Yeah. So addictive. So addictive. (laughs) So Scott and Taylor rounded out for us. If we all here on the podcast are thinking of, using geo-arbitrage as a tool to optimize our lives. What type of things should we be thinking about before we make the jump? Oh, man. If it's a consideration of yours, I would say be aware that if you're leaving an existing community, that that is going to affect you, period. And I think to that point, wherever you're considering going, I think it's pretty easy and obvious to say like, oh, what kind of population am I looking for? Am I young and looking for a big city with a ton to do? Am I getting into my, you know, my older years and I want to settle down and I want things to be real quiet? Do I have a new kid? You know, all that kind of stuff. And you can build your parameters around that population, schools, average salaries, the amount of jobs. If you're looking to invest locally in real estate, you know, you check all those boxes. But the thing that doesn't seem super obvious is like, get on Facebook, go to the local groups in that area and see what's going on. What kind of events are taking place in the area? How many times are people organically meeting up? What, are, what types of events are coming through town on a regular basis, if at all? And are those things important to you? Understand that the social dynamics are 
equally, if not more important than the economic dynamics of your decision and put as much or more effort into those things. And then the biggest piece of advice easily is like what I told Tay and what she mentioned earlier, which was like, you can always go back. So don't be afraid to like pull that trigger and make that move. But also, you know, you can, you can kind of like dip your toes and like move for a while, rent and just feel it out. Like make sure it's the right place for you before you commit. And I guess for some people that might be tough because then they go like, when do I know to commit? I don't know. That's a personal choice, right? I think the first and most important thing that was a catalyst for us being happy on this journey was making sure that you're aware of what actually makes you happy. Mm -hmm. So before you leave, Mm -hmm. get that happiness list in check, be real with yourself. And even if it's some things that maybe you're not proud of that make you happy in your area, like be really real with yourself on, hey, you know what? This is important to me no matter what. And then build your plan of where to go and see if you can. I mean, I think a lot of people, we have the extreme flexibility with our remote jobs. I don't think that's a reality for everybody. And I think that's something we have to address. Is there flexibility in your work to go for a couple months? You know, you don't know until you ask. Don't be afraid to ask. What's the worst they're going to say? No. Okay, great. Anya, advice for someone considering geo-arbitrage? Everything they said, uh, Scott and Taylor said, is great. In the end, you really kind of have to listen to yourself because you can get advice from so many people, but they don't know you and what your hopes and dreams and your path is and what you like. And I think movies you watch, (laughs) (laughs) which movies you shouldn't watch. Just don't watch movies. Just don't do it. Except the uh, playing with fire. Watch that one. Nice plug, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, it's just you really got to trust your gut and do all the research. And here's the thing, though, whatever sort of problems you've had or things that you're going through personally, you're just going to take to another place. So you got to deal with those issues first. So whatever that may be, that's a big one. I think you're just going to take it with you wherever you go. So make sure you're dealing with yourself. Check yourself first. But everything they said, I think is true. It's not just about money. There's a whole lot more involved than just money. All right, Taylor, I'm going to ask you a question and I don't want an explanation. I just want an answer. If money weren't an option and you could live anywhere in the United States, where would you live? At this moment in my life? In general. I would live in Bend. Scott? The people listening can't see me, but I just raised my hands up in victory. Your convincing skills are so on point. I feel feel (laughs) the same way. I honestly, I I would honestly live in Bend regardless. Yeah. It doesn't matter the parameter. I love it here. Tanya, same question. Anywhere in the United States, cost was not an issue. Where would you live? I would live here, except I would have either my own apartment or my own place of some kind. I just don't want to live with a roommate. Hope she's not listening to this. I don't think she is. I just like my own space. But yeah, I would live close to the beach here. If I got a second home, it would be in Hawaii, which I'm going to on Friday. So I'm very excited. Yeah, Kauai. Nice. Where in Kauai? Uh, Well, mostly in the North Shore, but everywhere because there's you do things all over the island. Are you staying in Hanalei or Princeville or? Princeville. Wow. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> I might not come back. Because <laughs> I've seen in the movie. And check out that flood and maybe you'll change your mind. <laughs> Just All right, Scott and Taylor. Why'd you go ahead and take us out? Uh, where can we find you and what's up next in your life? 
Thank you. We, uh, you can find us at playingwithfire.co. We're on the Instas, the Twitters, the Facebooks, all that stuff. And we are very, very close to launching our own podcast. It will be coming out next week. And uh, starting in March, we're going to be doing challenges. So every month, we're going to do a new challenge. And each week will be a progression of that challenge. We're all going to do it together. So I roped Taylor into doing it with me. I don't know how this keeps happening to me. I really don't. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if I gave you much of a choice. So sorry about that. That's true. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. It's a big commitment. You know, we're going to do it for a year no matter what. And we're going to try it out and do 12 different challenges and hope that we can do it, you know, grow our community and do it with a bunch of different people. So hopefully you two will join us too. Definitely. And Tanya, what's up next in your life and where can we find you? Yeah, so I'm freelancing right now. You can find some examples of my work at tanya-stumphauser.com. And I'm primarily working with a beach volleyball company. They have a local camps and classes here in Hermosa Beach called volleycamphermosa.com. And we're also producing a bunch of online tutorials and practice plans at betteratbeach.com. All right. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Tanya Stumphauser and Taylor and Scott Rickens. That's a wrap. I want to share something with you about the making of a podcast. Mostly what you hear when you listen to an episode is a one-sided story where the guest is the star and they tell us all about their knowledge, information, and stories. The truth of the matter is, behind the scenes, the making of a podcast is really about a conversation, a shared story between me and my guests. I don't pick topics at random. In fact, most of the things we talk about on the show are deeply important to me and are things that I've thought very much about. So by the time we get to recording, by the time I've gone through the process of inviting the guests to be on the show, we've begun a conversation, the end point of which you will hear when you listen to the podcast. But there's a lot more back and forth that maybe you don't always hear just by listening to one of our episodes. And I truly believe that a podcast is a bi-directional conversation. It's not just a guest telling us what they know. It's a conversation with me, the host, but also us, the community, about an important subject. So often I try to make sure that my guests, the guests on the Earn and Invest podcast, feel drawn into this conversation, feel like There is a back and forth where we're both sharing information. One of the ways I do this is I usually begin each recording session with a story. Now, some of the stories I have left in and have become the introduction to the episode, but many of the times the stories I tell are not published. They're stories that I use to draw the guest in to open them up to at least my framework of where my mind is on the subject. It's a way of drawing them in, of welcoming them to the conversation, of giving before I do what you hear in each episode, which is take from them. I take their information. I take their stories. I greedily ask them questions and record them so that we 
so that we can listen to them, so that we can grow and learn together, so that we can form a community. I ask so much of my guests. I often like to start the conversation by giving something. Like I said, sometimes I include that little story I tell in the episode, but often I don't. When I began this episode, when I began this recording with Tanya, Scott, and Taylor, I decided to read a story of mine, a blog post that I put on a previous blog about my love affair with the city that I grew up in, this place, Evanston, which has become such a part of who I am. I felt it was a nice counter to the discussion we were about to have about how you can move and improve your financial life. I love this idea of moving from a high cost of living area to a low cost of living area, but I also knew it was complicated, and I knew it was complicated because of my own story. So I decided to include my introduction, the introduction that I cut from the beginning of this episode, the conversation that I started with the guests before we quote-unquote hit the record button. Here it is. What would it take you to leave home? I live in an incredibly high cost of living neighborhood with horrible winters and muggy summers, and I have no plans to leave. If you walk north from my front door a half block, the sidewalk dead ends into a path juxtapositioned between the golf course and Leahy Park. Continue a few hundred feet and turn east on Lincoln Avenue and eventually cross Sheridan. Go past the Water Reclamation Building and around the Athletic Center, and you will come to my favorite place. Wend your way through the ambling students in the outdoor athletic field, and eventually you will reach Lake Michigan. Almost as if by surprise, the incomprehensible body of water jets into view framed by green grass over landfill, a winding path along the waterfront, and an odd assortment of graffitied concrete haphazardly placed as an embankment. This is my Evanston. This is particularly odd for a guy who has never owned a beach pass, hates sand, and rarely swims in anything but pools. Certainly my youth was much more colored by the shops lining Central Street on the northwest side. Primordial memories of riding in the back seat of my mother's Buick station wagon while we dropped off laundry at the drive through dry cleaners or stealing my first candy at Deacon's Dime Store and then feeling remorse shortly thereafter. There were trips through the alley that started adjacent to the old house on Lawndale and ended at the White Hen Pantry. The pantry eventually turned into a 7-Eleven, then it closed. The Deacon's is now a real estate office. Strangely, the dry cleaner still stands. The path leads from Central Street through a tunnel where laundry is dropped off at a window and then dead ends into the same alley that I used to traverse to get to White Hen. Did I mention the Baskin-Robbins? Adulthood has changed my paths, although I still awake occasionally from childhood dreams with the taste of the Lawndale house on my lips. I drive past occasionally, but the facade has changed. It's not the same. My kids and I now walk Sherman or Orrington to get downtown. We pass by the 201 bus stop I used to take home after going to my after-school tutor when I was diagnosed with a learning disability. The Bettys of Winnetka has long been replaced by some store or another. We cut through Fountain Square and end at the renovated Chandler's building and eat at Ed Zozer Potbellies. And we always walk home along the lake, down the same path but from the opposite direction, passing the rumbling machinery as Northwestern builds new constructs of glass and steel facing the lake, the strange beauty of technological colossus adjacent to greenery and natural waterway. 
my wife, the kids, and I. I have changed since childhood. I walk different paths, yet my city still lives, like me, filled with contradictions, the ugly concrete slabs slathered with multicolored paint somehow not detracting from the picturesque lakefront, familiar yet mysterious, uncertain, my DNA entwined in a small imprint of soil on a street full of houses in a world full of cities. The place I was born, where I spent the only eight years with my father, where I brought my children home from the hospital. Evanston. Thank you. Awesome. I just got the feeling like you guys would just talk and talk and talk. I didn't even have to be in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tanya, we so enjoyed meeting you. Yeah, likewise. I really value your story. And I think just like that's such a great story to tell. And honestly, like sometimes hard to tell. And I feel like we know that going through just like what we've been through the last few years, but I feel like there's not a lot of examples like that. So I just, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, thank well, you done, so much. Doc. It's cool that we, you know, that you have two guests, one tried it and just went straight back and the other guest <laughs> tried it and it worked out. Yeah. I, think I mean, that, that, listeners. that was the point. I mean, the point was, my goal is not to talk anyone out of it by any means. I think it has its place. I did a geo-arbitrage episode with international geo-arbitrage, and both couples were very into it. But I just wanted to get this idea out that it's a little bit more complicated, right? Yeah. yeah and that. and totally. that it's okay, exactly as Taylor said, it's okay to try it and fail. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. It's not even failing. It's going out, experiencing Learning. something new, and realizing. Yeah. What, what happened, I think, to you, Tanya, which is awesome, is you now have moved the toggle on location. And so yeah. location, the toggle on location has moved to more important and maybe cost of living toggle went down a little bit in your mm-hmm. estimation. And that's like totally okay. And we don't talk about that enough. And yeah. you guys, Scott and Taylor are really great at that. I mean, I think if you take anything from playing with fire, it's you went on this journey, the journey was worthwhile and wonderful, and you came out on the other side happy, but you really had to decide what was important in your life and how important. And I just, I love telling that story over and over again, because I think it's a story we can we can tell in different ways about different subjects, but it all yeah, comes yeah. down to... it's always we, nice to be reminded yeah. if you know it, and it's always amazing to learn it when you didn't. Yeah, and so I thought this, I felt this was a good vehicle to retell that story about how happiness is different for each one of us and different levels, levers are going to work for one of us that don't for the other. And so I just, I felt you guys were a really good representation of that, all three of you. Thank you. Well done. That was good. Also, can we please give a round of applause to that unbelievable intro script about- Oh my gosh, that was like, yeah. Holy shit. So I I wrote that a few years ago, but I, so to me again, that was uh, the other part of doing this is um, Evanston is part of who I am. Like it's part of my soul. Like, I don't know, whenever I think about doing something like that, it's one of the things we just don't talk or think about, but we somewhat sometimes define ourselves by where we live and our history. Yeah. So to me, that was, again, I wanted to frame this whole story just in a slightly different way. So thank you. It was, it was really heartfelt and we, we could see it through your lens in that moment. Like it was really, yeah, that was was incredible. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. 
with new episodes every day. This podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.